Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. How many of you did a lot of walking in lockdown? Think, think back to those days. How many of you got outside, went for a walk, found new places to walk? And one of the things that we did a lot of is finding a lot of new places where we would go, places we weren't aware of, uh, new areas of our community, uh, new routes, new paths, uh, new directions. Uh, one of the challenges that we had was walking in a group of six. So obviously me, my wife, and the four children, uh, we've, uh, you know, trying to walk all together at the same pace was a big challenge. Uh, and obviously during lockdown, uh, we, uh, we added to our number, so we were five, then six. Uh, in our group, we had fast walkers. Uh, we had some slow walkers. We had a baby in a walker. Uh, we had those who would wander off the path while walking. Uh, we had walkers who were hide-and-seek enthusiasts. And so trying to go for a walk uh, and, and all be in roughly the same space at the same time, heading in the same direction, was a rare occasion. It was a regular struggle. Kind of you'd stop and you'd do a head count every couple of minutes just to say, can I see everybody that I'm walking with? And uh, speaking of walking and walking together, one of the things that I found fascinating in the, the coronation events uh, was that in the military procession, they, uh, they did something apparently they'd never done before. They were going to have a synchronized start. So that of the thousands of military personnel marching, we're all going to start walking at exactly the same moment. Now, the reality is, in, in, um, in years gone by, that would be impossible because when they were covering the amount of space that they were covering, there were literally thousands and thousands of personnel involved in the marching of those ceremonies. And so for those who were several miles back, to start in sync with those who were at the very front has only been made possible through the technology that we have today. And it was incredible to see, there's me struggling to get six people to walk roughly in time uh, and in the same direction, to see thousands upon thousands of people start walking at exactly the same moment, in exactly the same formations, all in step with each other. And this was completed, this was uh, synchronized together uh, because there were key individuals placed throughout the procession being linked in together with the same rhythm, with the single rhythm and instruction for them to walk in. And I think there's something beautiful about that. And I'm not suggesting that you uh, line up your families and march in kind of choreographed military processions. All of that could be fun for, uh, for something to do. Uh, but the picture is a powerful one when we think about the passage today. And we've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. It's been called Empowered. Uh, and we're, we're looking to look at the place of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. That God longs to give us power for the journey. That God looks to empower us to do all the things that he's called us. That he's not asking us to do uh, all the things that we see and read about in the Bible in our own strength. That God isn't asking you just to be really, really good at being a Christian. How many of you show hands are really, really good at being a Christian? <laughs> hand went down pretty quick, right? It's hard. It's hard to be a Christian sometimes. It's hard to follow the things, the instructions that Jesus has got, the direction that he has for our life. Uh, it's difficult to do. And, and, and the reason that God gives us the Spirit, gives us his Holy Spirit, is because he sees how hard it is. And he doesn't look for us to do it on our own strength or in our own ability, but he looks to give us the strength, to give us the power to live the way that he's called us to live. So if you've got a Bible, uh, grab it. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 5. 
flick through to Galatians 5. Uh, I've got it up on the screen if you want to follow there instead, and I will read Galatians 5, 16 through 26. It says, so I say, live by the Spirit, uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We will explain that because that sounds strange in our Western ears. Uh, they are in conflict with, one another, uh, with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, wild parties and the like. I warn you, as I did before, uh, as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And our title and our theme and our reflection for this morning is what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? And let me just quick ask a quick show of hands on a, on, on a quick thought. How many of you are kind of mental processors? There's got three categories I want us to fit you in uh, before you pick one. Before we start. Some of us are mental processors. We think. We do a lot of our work in our own heads. That is, we like information. We like to be taught things. Uh, we like the idea of applying what we learn uh, some of us, we are intuitive, we feel, we like to be connected to emotionally. Uh, the, way our, the way our heart and our emotions lead us matters. Uh, and some of us, we are, we're doers. That, that it's like, well, don't, don't show me, don't, don't tell me, let me do it. And that's how, how many of us are, are thinkers, are kind of head people, that's definitely me, always in my head. Uh, how many of us are feelers? That sounds a bit strange. How many of us, how many of us are led by feeling and emotion? That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, how many of us are doers? That we just want to get out and do things. And it's, it's interesting that, 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 that each of us can, can come to the same passage, to the same idea, the same teaching, and, and want something different out of it. And so this morning, I want to split what we're going to talk about into those three categories of head, heart, and hands. What we think, how Scripture is designed to transform our thinking, uh, a heart, how it's meant to make us feel, how we connect emotionally and spiritually, and hands, what we need to do, how we live differently as a result. Listen, what if I said that Christianity is more concerned about making good people rather than simply bringing about good actions? Would that be surprising? That the instruction on how, uh, how to live and what we do isn't simply about a list of rules that we keep. So often, and I, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past, we think about Christianity as here are the things that we need to do. Or maybe more specifically, here are the things that you're not allowed to do. And we can approach a passage like the one that we've looked at just now in Galatians 5 and think, here's the list of don't do's, please avoid these things. Here's the list of things to do, you know, do these as much as you possibly can. Because if you do, God will be happy and everything will go right. And we've got to think in those terms. It's like, here's, here's the do list, here's the don't do list. And if you can do your best, 
to kind of have a good balance of doing the right thing and not doing the bad thing, then, then God will be happy. What if I say that's, that's completely understanding it wrong? What if I said rather than a list of things to do or not to do because they make God cross, but we're given a pattern, that we're given a guideline for godly and virtuous character, that the God's intention for us is not a list of rules to keep, but about creating hearts that long for God and for God's purposes. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that God's intention for us is that we are conformed, that means to be, to be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. He doesn't say he wants us to be carbon copies, that we're meant to, to simply look at what Jesus said and did and do and say the same things, but we're to grow to be like him, that, that what we look like begins to look like Jesus in us. And interestingly, some of your translations for this will say, live by the Spirit. And I think maybe most of us will have a translation that says, walk by the Spirit. Hands up quickly if you've got a Bible in front of you and you're a walk by the Spirit person. Most of you probably are. Some of you might be lived by the Spirit people. But the reality is, is, um, is the word itself is interestingly means both. Now, I quickly say, who, who enjoys a good walk? Let's quick answer, show our hands of the walkers. Let, let me, um, how many of you love walking in the mountains? Mountain, I absolutely, one of the things I've loved with my children getting a little bit older is they really enjoy uh, hill walking and walking in the mountains. My son has got fixated on this, this discovery of his that in the UK at least, for something to be defined as a mountain, as defined by the International Climbing and Mountaineering Federation, it must be 600 meters, that's just shy of 2,000 feet, or it is not a mountain. And he gets very, very technical with this information now. So, well, do you want to climb this mountain? He goes, Dad, it's not a mountain. Uh, but it's called, it's called, you know, there's a, there's a mountain. Well, it's not a mountain, as he'll tell me. Garth Mountain, which is the mountain nearby where we live. I say, should we go climb Garth Mountain? He says, Dad, it's not a mountain. And we'll point past it and say, oh, we've climbed that mountain together, haven't we? He says, Dad, it's not a mountain. Very, very technical. Uh, but this idea of, of walking that we see, walking by the Spirit, uh, the Greek word, and I've got it in the screen for you, those of you who, there's a bit of walking, Peripateo. I know you love uh, Greek words, all of you. There we go. Peripateo. The word uh, literally means, and, and most commonly is translated, to walk. And many times in the gospel, when Jesus and his disciples are traveling, they go somewhere, this is the word that is used to describe the action of walking, traveling from one place to another. But the word has a symbolic meaning, from, from originally from the Hebrew, is uh, put into the Greek word here, that the writers of the New Testament love to take hold of. And it means to live. Uh, and not merely to live, but more broadly, the way that you conduct yourself in life. It's the way that you order yourself, the pattern that governs how you live. And so it'll, you'll see the word walk used sometimes uh, in, a, in a metaphoric sense. When Jesus, you no longer walk in darkness. He's not saying that you've, you know, you've, you've lifted the, the, the blinders off your eyes or it's light outside. But he says, but the way that you live now is not in darkness, but you live according to a different pattern. And it's a symbolic use here. So when, when translators say walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit, they're both right. But, but in some respects, they fail to capture the symbolism at play here that Paul is instructing believers to order their lives according to the pattern of the Holy Spirit at work in them. And so we can ask, what is the pattern that Paul is highlighting here? 
And in this passage, Paul talks about the spirit, the flesh, and the law. He says in, uh, in the, the first part of the, the passage, we read Galatians 5, 16 to 18. So I say, live or walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do, what you, um, you do, not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are, no, you are not under the law. How many of you feel pulled in multiple directions? at various times in your life. Maybe right now you feel you, you've got multiple demands, uh, demands on your time, demands on your attention, and you think, oh, well, there's, you know, there's all this work that I've got to do, there's problems with work, or I've got school pressure, or I've got uh, my, my friends asking me to, to do things or to be a certain way. I've got all these desires and these demands coming at you from different direction. And sometimes life feels like a, a constant balancing act. And this is what, what is going on for Paul in the church uh, in Galatia, in this letter, he is writing to people. And some of them are saying, you, you need to strictly obey the law. You need to look at the Old Testament law, all those rules, all those instructions. You need to be doing those things. Those are the demands that God has for you. And then you've got another group of people saying, no, no, we're free in Jesus now. All our sins are forgiven. The law doesn't matter. We've got this new way of living. And all this thing doesn't matter anymore. And, and Paul is trying to bring everybody back to the heart of what Jesus revealed, the heart of what Jesus did, the heart of who Jesus was. And all of these pressures, all these demands, pulling people's attention in this church in different direction. And Paul talks about the flesh. And sometimes this has got negative connotations, but it's not always negative in the Bible. When, when John's Gospel says that the Word became flesh, it's not a negative thing. It's simply recognizing the human condition and experience that Jesus entered into. But so often it's used, and, and Paul is using it here to talk about the, the, the sinful desires, the things that are at odds with the Spirit. The kind of desires that we had when we didn't walk in line with Jesus. The things pulling us, the old passions, the old set of priorities, the old pattern of living. And in Galatians, Paul presents the challenge of keeping in step with the Spirit. Almost like walking this tightrope between the law and the flesh. Not straying to either extreme, but walking in line with what has been given to us by Christ through his Holy Spirit. And the first half of this tightrope is, is about fighting legalism. And this involves rejecting the temptation to say, well, the law is what makes you right. That so often this is the, the problem with religious, quote-unquote, people is, is that they think that doing the right thing makes them right. Have we ever felt that way? Sometimes we can get that. When we actually, when we're on a roll, when we're living well, when we're doing the right things, we think that that is what makes us good people. That is what makes us people that God approves of when we do the right things. And the problem is, is Jesus repeatedly attacked that idea within the Pharisees. That just because you look like you're doing the right thing, just because maybe you are doing the right thing, that in itself is not what God requires. Again and again, Jesus confronted the Pharisees and said, what you do on the outside does not necessarily reflect who you are on the inside. Jesus talked about, about uh, religious leaders looking like whitewashed tombs, that on the outside they were pristine and beautiful and, and, and clean, and yet on the inside they were full of death and decay. He said to these religious people, he says, you're like, you're like cups that you've just washed the outside of. 
How many people drink out of dirty cups? I think sometimes in my house it's unavoidable. And you don't notice it until you get a little bit of something that was already in there in your cup of coffee. And you go, that doesn't taste right. But he says this, this is the, the, the idea that Jesus uses to confront religion in this world. He says you, you want it to look a certain way. You want it to look impressive to those on the outside. But what is inside is wrong and messed up and not the way that it should be. Church, we can be like this sometimes. We put our trust in doing the right thing, believing that that earns God's approval. And yet the message of the gospel is is that we're not simply bad or made bad by the bad things we do, but the bad things that we carry within our hearts. That good action is not enough. What God longs for is hearts that are transformed. And that God's plan for us in Jesus is not just to help us behave better, but to transform the innermost parts of who we are. That God declares us part of his family. That God declares us righteous and good. And we live out of that declaration. That we live in a place of God's love and approval and that our actions flow from there, not the other way around. And religion says, do things right and God will approve of you. The message of Jesus says is God approves, God loves you, God is with you, and his desire is to see you live right. And it might seem like a subtle difference, but but it completely transforms your approach to how you live. That we don't live out of obligation or guilt or rule keeping, but we live out of a place of relationship and intimacy. And the other extreme that Paul is, is fighting here when he talks about, about the flesh, about this rejection of the law as an opportunity to embrace total freedom. Anyone remember, I think some of you might be too young for this experience, we've got a few of the youth in with us now, the first time your parents left you alone at home. You think back, do you remember that experience? Some of us, that was a long time ago. But it was total freedom. And I can remember thinking, I can do anything. Now, what I probably ended up doing was just watching television and eating maybe more food than I was meant to. But that idea of total freedom, and and sometimes uh, what Paul was challenged with and facing here in the church in Galatia is is them thinking because of Jesus' forgiveness, they had total license to do anything that they wanted. That the law was done away with, that forgiveness was their gift of God through his grace, and now they could live in any way they wanted because it didn't matter. Now, for those one or two of you in the room uh, that like to use words that no regular people use anymore, here is one for you. Uh, this, this was called antinomianism, which has nothing to do with gnomes. Uh, and I, funny enough, I've been looking at uh, kind of um, AI-generated images. I've got you an antinomian gnome on the screen for you there. Full disclosure, AI-generated, uh, AI so it's not a real picture. Computer made it. But that is an antinomian gnome. Like I said, nothing to do with gnomes, but everything to do with the challenges facing the early church. If I was to tell you that the word nomos means law, and so anti-nomos, anti-nomian, is this idea that there is no longer a law, that we no longer have a, these governing principles that we live by. And we can understand the challenge if the message is Christ has died for our sins. He's abolished the need for, for, for the temple and for the sacrificial system. If he's done away with the need for the, for the law as a means to live rightly, if he's paid for our total forgiveness, then surely we can do whatever we want. We know that we're going to be forgiven. We know that Christ has done that. If he's done away with these things, then we can live however we want. Have you ever wondered that? Or at least kind of gone, well, if God will forgive me, then technically... 
You've got some of the, kind of the, 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 the mental lawyers in the room going, well, if God will forgive me, then technically I can do this, right? And the message of the gospel is no much, not so much about giving rules to live by, not about laying down a law. In fact, what Paul spends so much of his time in the first chapters of Galatians is explaining to them, we don't live under the law. All the law does is show us our sinfulness. All the law does is show us our need for a saviour. The law is like a mirror that, that is held up in front of you and shows you your faults, shows you your weaknesses, shows you all the areas where you've not, you've not lived up the way that you should have done. He says what the gospel does is show you all the things that God has done for you. It's not about rules to live by, but empowering us to live well. To be people who reflect the glory of God. To live in a way empowered for goodness and life and healing and transformation. To be living sermons, living reflections of who God is, what Jesus has done, and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Let's try and connect the head to the heart now. You can see I'm a head person because so much of that was, was where, where I sit. But thinking about building and growing. We talked about walking and living, then building and growing. Um, I'm going to say we, and what I mean by we now is my wife and I watched. Uh, we recently cleared out our car. Um, and as you can imagine, with four children, things get very messy very quickly. Uh, if you've ever seen the inside of my car, I, hey, I, that's just my wife is going, we? I caveated that. I said, you did it, I watched. Uh, I'd love you all to look inside my car after church because it is, it's spotless now. And it, it's never going to look like this again, maybe for another six months. But the idea is with, with so many children, things get messy quickly. Things get left there. Things get forgotten about. Stuff just accumulates. Uh, my car is like that, that extra spare room in your house where you just dump stuff. Well, I have one of those rooms as well, but I've also got my car. And the problem is things... Things start to get pretty funky after a while. And um, I'm not going to go into details, um, but things get gross. And um, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit grosser. Um, things start to grow when they're left for too long, right? I'll leave that wonderful image with you. Let me ask you, what is... Wonderful segue here. What is growing in your life? Now, I'm not asking about that, that ingrown toenail or the rash that you should speak to a doctor about, but, but I'm saying, what do you see building and developing in your heart and character? Let me say, growth, listen to this, growth is inevitable for all things that are still alive. Nudge the person next to you, check that they're still alive, and tell them growth is inevitable if you're still alive. If you're alive, you're growing in some way. That is happening. Whether you like it or not, that will happen automatically. Check if they're alive. Growth is inevitable for all things that are still alive. You will grow whether you like it or not. And I will make no more reference to the moldy fruit cleared out of my car. But let me tell you, when you build intentionally... You provide a framework for healthy growth. If you're going to write something down, write this down. Growth is inevitable. Healthy growth requires intention. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, uh, forbearance, 
Some of your translations might say kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says against these things there is no law. I've got a picture of fruit that I'll pop up because, because I want you to think about positive growth now, not negative growth. But this idea that, that the growth is inevitable. But are you growing the right way? What is growing in your life right now? Are you intentional about seeing things grow? Or do you just leave it to its own devices? Do you allow it to grow in whatever way that it sees itself? For us to see this kind of spirit-led growth, for us to see uh, the, the, the spirit, the fruit of the spirit at work within us, we need to be adjusting our hearts to catch God's spirit. I would say think about a TV aerial, but that dates me. Think about a sail on a ship adjusting it to catch the wind. Imagine the Spirit of God blowing through your life. Have you positioned yourself to be moved by God's Spirit? Have you made intentional steps in your life to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart and and work through your life? Are we willing to adjust, to move, to focus, to remove the things that are negative and are not healthy in order to see God working within us. I'll say it again, church. Growth is inevitable. Healthy growth requires intention. I want to talk very quickly about this idea of quenching the Spirit. Now, we don't often use the word quench. Um, Maybe, for example, if you're talking about slating your thirst, if you, you can quench your thirst, you drink a lot to help you kind of not feel thirsty anymore, but, but maybe more typically use the idea of, of extingu- extinguishing a fire. You might quench a fire to pour out water onto something. Think about a small fire being lit within you and the things that you might do that would throw water all over it. Let me read. I'm going to read an extended part of of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read up to this bit that talks about not quenching the Spirit. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22, it says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. That's, that's kind of challenge or rebuke when there's need. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You get to verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. It says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. And that idea of not quenching the Spirit, some translations might say, don't stifle the Spirit or don't extinguish the Spirit. Neil spoke last week about being filled with the Spirit again because we leak, because there's stuff in life. And I think he mentioned this, that, that sometimes the, tra- the challenges or the troubles or the busyness of life seem to, to squeeze out the space for the Holy Spirit within us. I think he had this illustration of dropping these, these pebbles into the cup of our life, which, which pushed out the water, which was symbolic of God's Spirit within us. 
I think there are things that we do that sometimes, to, to reverse the metaphor, that we do certain things that throw water over the fire that God has ignited within us. Church, reflect on this. What you do in your life has the ability to stifle God's work in and through you. That is both incredible and incredibly worrying. That the God gives you agency and control. That God is an interest in forcing you to become something that you won't agree to. But that God's desire is to partner with you to see transformation. The choices that you make, the way that you choose to, to walk out your spiritual journey, to, the pattern that you choose to build your life upon will either invite more of the Spirit into your life or quench that fire within you. If you think about the instructions in, in, in that passage you just read, it, 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 this instruction not to quench the Spirit comes after this powerful and passionate entreaty to live the Christian life well. Paul, call, Paul calls the church to acknowledge those who work hard, to acknowledge those who care for us in the Lord, to admonish, that's to warn, to reprimand, to, to challenge those of us who aren't living well, to live at peace with each other, to warn the idle and the disruptive, to, 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 to wake them up to the damage they're doing in their own lives, to encourage the disheartened, to help the weak, to be patient with those around us, to make sure that no one pays back evil for evil, to strive to do good, to rejoice in all situations, to pray in all situations, to give thanks in all situations. I think what a, what a wonderful instruction about what the Christian life lived well looks like. But this is not a list of activities that you tick. This is not, well, I've, I've done the, the, the being patient with people today, so I'll focus on something different tomorrow. These are the patterns that God wants to establish in our heart, the rhythms that he wants to see in our lives. This is what it looks like to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to build that rhythm and pattern of life that welcomes and encourages the Holy Spirit. Just think about, about the sins that quench the Spirit within us. The things that we can do that would dampen all that God is looking to do in us and through us. Church, think about it this way, that, that sin is not so much a problem because it separates us from God. Because the reality, this has been dealt with definitively at the cross for each one of us. That your sin no longer separates you from knowing God, from coming into his presence because Jesus died to make a way to forgive our sin once for all. But what happens now is as Christians, when we still make poor, poor decisions, we still make selfish decisions, we still make patterns of life fashioned after the old model, what it does is it affects and limits the impact of God's spirit in our life. We pour water over that fire that God longs to be burning within us. Church, would that change the way you think about your actions? It's a, it's a subtle difference, but rather than thinking about, about well, we, what, what, what is the effect or the consequence of my sin as a follower of Jesus? As limiting the power of the Holy Spirit to operate within us. And we cultivate fruit by closeness with God. By building, by building a life intentionally that looks to house the Spirit of God working through us. 
Are we building a life that houses God's presence? Are we, are we living after a pattern that not only makes space for Him, but builds our lives and our actions and our days around His presence with us? And the, my first barbecue of the year yesterday, it was fantastic. It was amazing. It was, it was really good. I burnt all the side of, of one arm just standing there at the barbecue. It was absolutely fantastic. Don't recommend that. It's not, that's not good advice. But, uh, but there I was, and I got my son to, to help me here to build that fire to kind of to order it in a certain way that make sure the heat was, was centered right at the, the, the core of it, that it was spread out, that it would cook the food evenly. And, and as we were there building that fire, putting little pieces together, getting the fire lighters in the right place, kind of, you wouldn't pour water all over it and, ex- and expect it to be effective. And church, for us, it's the rhythms and the routines that we build into our lives can either stoke that fire within us or pour cold water all over it. God desires that we be living in a way that brings us closer with Him, that magnifies His Spirit working within us. Living in step with the Spirit brings that affection and awareness of God in our day-to-day lives. That the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated by closeness and connection to God, not by trying hard to achieve a list. That when we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these aren't simply characteristics that we, that we already have and we need to work towards getting better, but they are given to us by a manifestation of God's Spirit within our life. That they are to be supernatural. That we're not meant to just love a little bit better because we've tried hard to cultivate it, but we're to love with the power of God flowing through us. They were not simply to be patient because we've worked hard at being patient, but we're to be supernaturally patient with the power of God flowing through our hearts, the patience of God working through the Holy Spirit within us. It is not just about trying hard, but it is about building a place for the Spirit to work within you. And very, very quickly, because I have run out of time, I want to talk about practical, what we do, crafting and cultivating that we need to build that pattern in our lives. Part of the kind of the pre-barbecue activities yesterday involved putting up a gazebo. And it was brand new, and so I'm not one for normally looking at instructions, but, um, but I stopped and I, and I analyzed the instructions. I looked at what materials were available, the sequence that we had to go through, the steps that we needed to arrive at the desired product. And church, some of us, we need to bring these rhythms of faith into our ordinary lives. To bring that, that building a pattern for the Spirit to work through us in our day-to-day. That it isn't something we just do on a Sunday or maybe uh, once every now and again in a small group. But we build our lives according to that pattern of the Spirit working with us. This, this, is go, this has got to be the intention. It says one, in 1 Corinthians 10.30, when it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, I'm pretty sure all of us in this room eat and drink and do other things. He says all of those things, do it all to the glory of God. That we're to be led by the Spirit. He says since uh, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Not becoming conceited, that is kind of vain and self-focused. Not provoking other people. Not envying each other. But church, are you you willing to listen and be led by the Spirit of God? 
in, in your own prayer times, are you willing to say, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? God, what are you leading me to right, right now in this moment? I was chatting with David just before we started. And we're both at that, that kind of age in life now when we kind of, we get very philosophical about things and, and we get to talk, you know, we start making those comments about how life is passing us by way too quickly. And so often our challenge is we, we ask God for that blueprint for life. God, what am I meant to be doing? Give me the list. You know, give me the script for my life so I can make sure I'm doing it right. And, and absolutely, sometimes God will give us that direction. will give that vision and purpose for our life. He says, this is what I'm calling you. But you know what? More often than not, God says, no, this is the pattern that I've called you to live by. He says, I've given you freedom to live within that. But this is the pattern that you build your life according to. Sometimes it's not just about asking God what he wants us to do, but, but asking, Lord, what do I need to get rid of? What are the things in my life that are holding me, that are, that are a big bucket of cold water on the spirit alive within me? It says in 1 Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is very much in line with Jesus' instruction to take up our cross and follow him. We're instructed to turn our back on the old pattern the old desires and passions in life in favor of a new way of living, one that is fashioned after the pattern and instruction laid down for us. The one ultimately found in Jesus. Church, what are the things that need to be laid down? What are the things that need to be put to death, as it were? What are the things that are just cold water to the development of the fire of the Spirit working within you? And I just say super practically as well. We, we acknowledge that it isn't about our actions that, that, are, that make God approve of us. It's not the things that we do. But if we look at the fruit of the Spirit, if we start leaning into the Spirit, if we start practicing these things, it's like preparing a, a room for a guest that is coming to stay with you. You know how important the guest is by how much hoovering happens in preparation for it. That's my, that's my judge, at least. If, if Sophie is like, you've got to get hoovering, this entire house needs, you know someone important is coming over. But we prepare a room for a guest or a visitor. We begin to speak the language of the Spirit. We begin to move in love and joy and peace in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in self-control. We begin to speak the language of the Spirit and prepare an environment to invite Him in. That we don't cultivate these things of ourselves, but we prepare the ground. We begin to, as, as Rach said, we begin to break up that ground for the Spirit of God to move within us. It's important that we put these things into practice, knowing that faith starts by saying, I will trust before I see transformation. That I will believe God will act in accordance to his word, but that sometimes requires me stepping out without knowing. That requires me trusting. That requires me putting myself in a place of uncertainty, of vulnerability, of, of difficulty, believing that God is who he says he is and that we, he will show up in the way he promises. Church, I'm going to invite the, the, the band back. We're going to respond in just a second. But I want to land on this. Is, I say invite the band back. I mean, Abby. 
Friends, where do you need change? We've said it a number of times over the weeks now that the, the Holy Spirit's desire is not just to make your life easier. The Holy Spirit's desire is not just to kind of take away the challenges so you can, leave, you, you can lead a more comfortable life. But the Holy Spirit's desire is to make you more like Jesus. And so church, if you desire that, because again, I've said, said already that, that, that God, is, God is not in the business of forcing you to become something that you won't. But he's all about empowering you to live that dynamic life in him. Ask this morning, what do you need to change? Where do you need to put trust? Where do you need to exercise faith? What are the things that you need to lay down? And so these just, these just are no longer compatible with living a life of, of fully trusting Jesus and see the Spirit of God working within me. Church, can I encourage you to stand? I'm going to pray and we'll worship in just a second. Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill this place right now. Holy Spirit, you, we know that part of what you do is, is, is bring that challenge to our heart, is to convict us of our sin, is, is to hold up that mirror in front of us and say, these are the things that are no good for you. These are the things that, that, that just prevent you from walking in closeness and intimacy with your heavenly Father. These are the things that rob you of the significance and power and purpose that God has for our life. For some of us in this, in this next moment, as we respond in, in song, the, the right response is one of repentance. It's just getting on your knees again, whether literally or metaphorically, and just saying, God, I, I give it all to you. I lay down the things that I've, that I've clung to in the past that are no good for me, that prevent you working in my heart and my life in the way that you long for and I long for. We say again, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, the forgiveness that is ours through the cross and the resurrection. That God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that truth, that that is never dependent on our actions. That the only thing that is dependent on is the obedience and the actions of Jesus. So God, we don't strive for forgiveness. We don't strive for approval. God, we are your children because you have made us your children. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it. But Lord, we recognize in this moment that you have so much more for us. You have so much more for our lives, God. And so often we self-sabotage. God, that we cling to patterns or habits or thoughts God, that would quench your spirit at work within us. And right now, God, we take this, this opportunity just to lay those things down. That as we worship in this moment, God, we, we just lay them down afresh, whatever they are. Church, let me encourage you to use this moment as an opportunity to stand before God collectively as his church. His church that, that he loves, that he delights in, that he promises to, to, to protect and to grow and defend and to encourage and to equip. But we stand here as his church that he loves. For some of us, it's a response right now. We just, 
We just need to open our hearts to, to our Heavenly Father. We just need to accept the truth of that again and invite the Spirit to work within us. For some of us, we need to make a commitment to change something. That there needs to be a, a, a laying down of something. That something needs to die a death within us in order to, to, to live that life that Jesus has for us. And so church, I would encourage you to use these moments for significance. But for some of you now, I'm going to be standing at the back and there'll be a few of the, the leaders standing there. Let me encourage you, if you want someone to stand alongside you and pray those things through. You don't have to give them details, but just an opportunity for someone to stand with you and pray the truth of God into your life. Then don't miss that opportunity. Holy Spirit, fill this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts. We invite you to lead us, to challenge us, to convict us. God, we allow you to do the uncomfortable things in us for our good. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, please visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.